0: So you have, to, you have to take the same enthusiasm that you have on day one and then have it on day thousand. Don't lose the habits. And uh, have passion and have um, discipline and structure because that, in my mind, gives anyone the, the best uh, chance at progressing.
1: Howdy, howdy. Tyson Cazare here with the Video Game Composer Podcast, sharing tips, strategies, and stories to help you on your road to becoming a full-time video game music composer. I want to share with you two things that I'm doing today to help you further your video game composition career. Number one is that you may notice that I've got a lot of extra sound waves bouncing off the walls and making it into this recording. That's because I am moving sound panels around and I don't have my acoustic treatment up. And I'm redoing things in my studio because I'm going to start filming today some of the modules for the start course that I'm working on that if you've listened to some of my previous episodes, you've heard about. And this is a course all about how to help you get started in your video game composing career. If it's something that sounds interesting to you, the course is totally free. You can just go to the Video Game Composer HQ, as in headquarters, Dot com slash start the video game composer hq.com slash start put your name and your email address in there and I will send you the login information for the course as soon as it goes live so that is one free resource for you to help you get more hands-on help in starting your career the second thing today that I'm doing is I'm bringing on an awesome guest an amazing composer to help, who's full of advice to help you get your career moving forward. Jeff Broadbent is an award-winning composer who's worked on many of the industry's biggest franchises. He's worked on franchises such as Diablo, Apex Legends, Assassin's Creed, Call of Duty, and many, many more. Not only is he a talented composer, but he is an effective networker and a strategic business person. He has so much great information to share. I hope you are ready to take notes and implement some great ideas. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing? Doing
0: great. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for coming on the show. So, Jeff, I want to start off by asking you about your background. How did you first get into music?
0: Yeah, music, uh, as, as long as I can remember, you know, when I was a young young child, it's, it's always been my passion in life. I started uh, first with the piano, um, took piano lessons starting when I was eight, and uh, what really got me into composing actually was uh, jazz improvisation. When I was a teacher, um, I was able to work with a, a jazz a pianist that taught me about improvising, and he also had a, a master's degree in uh, music theory, so he started teaching me a lot of music theory and that uh really opened my eyes to to the new uh at that time to me what was a new aspect of uh music uh, you know using the mind thinking about theory thinking about composition and things like that and so i had a a background in uh performing i also played uh, classical saxophone since i was 10 or so and but really uh what launched me into a desire to compose was jazz and i still love uh jazz i like to improvise a lot and it just it always feels freeing and for me that was the gateway into composing growing up i always loved uh, video games and also film and tv i remember when i was younger even when i didn't really understand what the film scores were doing technically i would listen to the to the uh, music and feel the emotion behind it and Kind of try to pick out what different instruments were doing and things. And you know I you know landmark video games like uh, I remember Ocarina of time on N64, the score just did a great job of supporting that. And back on the Super Nintendo days, you know uh, Final Fantasy 3, which was Final Fantasy 6 I think mm-hmm. in, in yeah. Japan, it was, yeah, that you know that score was just amazing what they could do even back then with the 16 bit uh, sound sets and things. But yeah, it's basically a marriage of a love for music, which I always had, which then developed into a love of composition and then pairing that with a pastime that I had, which was video games and film and TV.
1: You mentioned that jazz improvisation was kind of what inspired you to compose. Is that how it worked? Like you took piano lessons and in high school you started doing jazz improvisation and then you started composing? Or had you already been like... Making your own stuff up on piano before you discovered jazz improvisation.
0: Um, it started composing started after jazz improvisation for me. I think the first piece I wrote was actually a jazz piece. Um, before that, I really just focused on technique and playing what was on the page. But yeah, it was I-
1: improvising is really what opened up composing to me. And you mentioned sax, saxoph- classical saxophone. Did you ever take Saxophone into jazz improvisation as well?
0: Yeah, I did. That That happened uh, in college, though, uh, a lot later than with the piano. And I always still liked the piano impro- improv- improvising a bit better, mainly because on the piano you can have full harmonies and melodies, and it, it mirrors a little more what a full arrangement would be like. And it always felt a little more natural to me on the piano just because of the way the, the keys are laid out in sequence and things like that. But yeah, I played... Uh, Uh, saxophone in in jazz bands in high school doing some improv in that and then in college uh had private lessons uh with jazz saxophone and continued playing in jazz ensembles and things like that
1: oh cool and was is your family musical as well like your parents are playing stuff your siblings are playing stuff and that's like the environment you grew up in or did you just gravitate toward that and you just kind of did that solo
0: yeah, a lot of uh a lot of uh music runs in my family. Going back to my grandpa on my dad's side, he actually made a living for a period of time arranging uh big band tunes and and playing and performing them with his band in nightclubs back when jazz was pop was a kind of a mainstream uh music form. Um so he did that a lot and he also uh was a scientist and later transitioned into that from music, but he Owned a company where he built music technology items, for example, he built one of the early uh forms of a tuner back in the day, they were very large All, technology always gets minimized in size as time goes on, but it was a large tuner that bands could use to tune up an electronic uh, tuner so with his he he also dabbled in uh, music technology um, with things like that on my uh mom's side my my grandpa sang and played uh piano and um you know my dad played flute and they had a family band my uh my dad's family where his grandpa would r- make arrangements for his children they'd all play different instruments and things like that and my siblings were interested in music too my brother uh, played trumpet my sister played clarinet and uh, i think s- several of us played uh piano as well so yeah, it was always part of the family environment and, and also going back some generations too.
1: Very cool. And when you were in high school and discovered composition, is that, is that when you decided that's what you wanted to do or how did you decide to do composing and is that what you majored in in college? Like, tell me about the transition to composing is what I want to do with my life.
0: Yeah, I think I think I was either 16 or 17 when I was certain that composing was what I wanted to do. Um, and it really was a combination of the things coming together, meaning the, the jazz improvisation, really thinking about music as theory, some key uh, video game scores that I listened to. Another one I remember, it was probably in the year 1995 or so. It was a game called uh, Panzer Dragoon on the Sega Saturn, but at any rate, it was one of the early CD games, which means they could have CD-quality audio in a video game, and it was the first time I heard live orchestra recorded in a video game, and that, mm-hmm. that to me was amazing because it, it let me know, wow, you can have film score-quality music in a video game. So that that totally got me even more, more excited about video game composing because I realized that Artistically and and so on, it could be on par with film music because it could be recorded. Um, yeah, I remember going to movies and just seeing the audience, you know, touched by films. One, I remember back in that time when I was a teenager. Um, I loved the music of James Horner. You know, the music oh, yeah. that he composed for Braveheart, the music that he composed for Titanic, and I I remember going to theaters and watching looking around me and watching the uh audience members experiencing the film the narrative and also the music and how it could uh, move them and things like that and i thought wow this is really a way to connect with uh people and humanity in general and i and uh, from that point forward i knew that composing was what i wanted to do i really didn't have any doubt about it
1: very cool and is that what you did in college were you a a composition major
0: yeah, in college I was a composition major. I went to two schools. One was uh, BYU in Utah, and after that UCLA. Uh, in UCLA I specifically studied film, TV, and video game scoring. And at BYU what I studied was more akin to classical composing, in, in particular with an avant-garde emphasis, meaning the uh, composition department was focused a lot on... Uh, 20th century style art music that would often depart from tonality and things like that, which I thought was a wonderful experience because it really opened my eyes to so many different techniques of composing and how art doesn't need to be uh, necessarily locked to a particular style. It can you can almost create your own language uh, for a piece when you're composing and other things. And that was artistically that was such an eye-opening experience to me because it just almost blew the doors off of what was possible through music and expression.
1: Do you find yourself using that? Was it like a good exercise, but it's not very practical for what you do now? Or was it like, oh man, blowing the doors off has really helped me to XYZ when I'm scoring these non-avant-garde things now?
0: Yeah, I think think that... From a purely practical perspective, maybe it wasn't too practical. The, the reason being is that uh, on my own, I would, uh, I would study John Williams scores and James Horner scores. You, you know, the paper, orchestra, or conductor scores. And I would learn a lot from those that would be more applicable to composing in an entertainment medium. Uh, because, you know, simply put, the harmonic language and the orchestration is, is more similar to what you find in film TV games. But one concept that, I, that always stuck with me from studying avant-garde music that I still use today was kind of a bird's-eye-level uh, view of music. Because the music would be so complicated or so out there, the avant-garde music, as students we were often taught to break it down into different elements, meaning the melody, the harmony, the rhythm, the sound, and the form or the structure of the piece. And depending on the music we were learning about or analyzing, those could be totally different. For example, the harmony could be, you know, it could be Baroque style harmony, or it could be uh, 12 tone harmony that's totally abandoning uh, major and minor scales and things like that. It could be expressionistic harmony where it's taking major and minor chords and extending them and using unconventional uh, modulations and things like that anytime i compose for a video game or a project now i always start with those as the base meaning I'll, I'll look at the video game and i'll think about it and i'll say what harmony fits this game what uh melodic type of writing fits this game what sound palette fits this game so being uh, trained to think in terms of those very raw or fundamental building blocks has always been helpful to me because it helps me it helps pull me out of any uh kind of crutch i might have as a composer or something i might just go to because i'm it's comfortable i'm used to it and it helps me think about what musically is going to serve this uh, video game or film or trailer the best so that uh that framework which i did i learned in uh, classical composition study has always been really helpful for that
1: how do you determine what tonality for example fits a game do you have certain emotions linked with certain tonalities and so you're like based off of what we're trying to go for in this game this will be like the the harmony that w- that I use or how what does that look like
0: Yeah definitely I'll I'll share a couple recent examples one was some music I some boss music I composed for a video game called Diablo Immortal Uh, maybe a couple months or so ago, the music was, well, first of all, the bosses were very aggressive. It's, it's kind of a Gothic semi horror kind of vibe. And uh, I know, I knew that we wanted some extended uh, techniques in there with the choir and some of the strings, for example, playing clusters or things like that, that would give a high degree of tension. At the same time, it wasn't the style of the game, because it's, it's a game from a franchise. I mean, there, there's been other Diablo video games. The, the music style didn't, in order to c- connect with the other franchises in this, or the other games in the franchise, didn't warrant a complete abandonment of uh, tonality or major and minor scales. So I, kn- I knew that to be true to the franchise, I also had to you know, compose with, uh, in that kind of harmonic framework. Another example that I'm working on right now is a kid's uh, video game. And it's a video game that has a lot of little toy-like characters in it and things like that. And so harmonically for something like that, first of all, it's going to be a lot more simple harmonically because it's kind of a game about childhood and things like that. And and you don't want to get things overly complicated when doing that. And also, uh, you know, simple techniques like using uh, in the melody, having a very active melody and having a half-step movement to give a playful feel. And the harmony can mirror that as well. That's something that, that also can give a childlike or playful feeling. So th- those are just a couple re- recent examples. One of them I'm working on right now in which, in which I think, how, do, how can the harmony suit the video game?
1: Those are really good examples. Thank you. Those are awesome. I really like to hear about kind of composers' journeys from where they started to becoming more established. And um, I know we've talked about it before, but could you maybe share some cliff notes, just some bullet points on how you went from composing student at UCLA to composing on Transformers or or Diablo or Children's Game, or all these different franchises that you've composed for?
0: Sure, yeah, I have. I have a lot of thoughts about that because everyone's path is different. But I'll I'll share some things that that helped for me a lot. Um, after I graduated from uh, college, and this was, if I remember right, this was back in two thousand nine. I basically knew I wanted to pursue video games heavily and uh knew i needed some kind of a game plan or some kind of a method to set goals for myself i tend to be very goal-oriented just because it helps give structure to my life and i really enjoy that a lot but um basically my first i looked at myself from where i was at and where i wanted to go and i thought what what are the steps i need to take and the first thing i realized was well. If I'm going to compose for video games, I need to have solid demo material or music that sounds like it could work in video games. So my final year in college, which was where I was, when I was at UCLA, I spent a lot of time composing uh, you know, just demo music, be it action music, be it just all kinds of stuff, ambient music, things that could work in video games and in some different styles too, some orchestral, some hybrid orchestral, a little bit of electronic stuff. And I would compose about a piece a week, if I remember right. So by the time the year was over, I had 50 or so additional tracks composed, something like that. After that, I realized that uh, I didn't have any credits in video games, so I needed to approach smaller teams first, indie teams and things like that, to at least get some experience or a resume going and uh, the way i did that is it's i'm sure it's different now because that was like 15 years ago but it was what was available then they they had uh i remember they had independent video game developer forums online where independent developers would would go to explain they're making a game and sometimes ask for help like who knows how to code this or who knows how to do that or maybe i'm looking for an artist for this or that th- that kind of thing and i would just uh, get active on the forum boards and uh You know, look at the games that people were making, offer my help as a composer, and some of them ended up needing uh, help with composing, so I I worked on some early projects that way. After that um, happened, I realized that uh, my next step was to approach more established uh, companies and things like that. And again, this was 15 years ago, so it's not like some of these things are necessarily applicable today, but... Believe it or not, I, I had many uh, demo CDs which I made, and I would mail them to video game studios, and, uh, and, I, and I did uh, get some projects from that. I remember an early uh, Hot Wheels uh, video game that I scored came through that. It actually came through that, and then I went to the, the Game Developer Conference in San Francisco, and uh, came across the company there as well, and they remembered that I had mailed them a CD recently. So it was kind of a happenstance thing, but the, the action steps I was taking were to try to reach out um, by going to video game conference in person, but, but not in person, contacting a lot of video game companies, either by email or, or in that case, by sending uh, you know, CDs and things like that. Which, you know, today people aren't going to mail CDs, but the principle is still the same. It's, it's, it's sending your music to a wide net of people and offering services and things like that. Um, the Transformers project uh, came about through contacting people, again, using similar methods I described, and then uh, demoing on the game. Sometimes, with, or often with bigger games, they'll have composers demo on it, maybe three to five composers, not a huge amount. You know, you know, create a custom demo, and I did that, and it and it just so happened that a fair amount of music I was composing at the time, which was, uh, if I remember, it was trailer music. Um, prior to the Transformers game, I, I composed trailer music sometimes as well. It was in a hybrid electronic and uh, orchestral style, which is well suited to the Transformers music. So I already had a lot of pre-composed music that demonstrated I could compose in that style. And then composing the custom demo was easy because I'd already been doing it a lot. And so that that's how working on that project came about. Um, as time goes on, you know, you get to know a lot of people in the industry and a lot of people you work with will move to other companies. You, you asked uh, about the kids game I'm working on now. That... Uh, happened um it was a repeat uh, person that i worked with several years ago i worked with them actually believe it or not it something completely unrelated it was actually a resident evil video game called resident evil resistance an online game and the audio director for that left that company and now works at another uh place and lo and behold it's kids game uh but but um, the, pr- the principle being when you work with people and you do good work and you're easy to work with and you build a friendship, those friendships often can last many years. And that's happened many times with me with many different uh, projects. The Diablo Immortal one actually is an example of that too. It's a company uh, called NetEase that I knew, I believe, starting back in 2012. And I've worked on all kinds of stuff with them. And... Um, I re- I saw that they were working on Diablo Immortal and expressed my interest in the game and said I'd love to create for it and they invited me to make some music for it. So uh, the 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 path or the strategy is different depending on the person, but I but one of the key takeaways I think is just it's just key principles of freelance business. And I always tell aspiring composers to read up and learn about how to run a freelance business. That's what I did quite intensely. Right before I graduated, and also right after I graduated, because the principles are the same regardless of the industry. You know, graphic designers do it. Uh, I don't know any personally, but I'm sure that independent lawyers do it. All kinds of stuff. It's about it's about reaching out to people. Um, Getting known in the industry, there's a term called top of mind, meaning do the people you want to work with, are you in the top of their mind? Do you try to keep in touch with them after you meet them? Do you try to you know, send them music that they might enjoy that, again, will increase the likelihood that you're at the top of their mind when the need rolls around for music? That's one of the principles I've always tried to remember.
1: Speaking of top of mind, you talked about how you like NetEase, for example, you've worked with them a lot over the years because you've built relationships there or you built uh, um, relationships with other game developers that you've worked in the past and then that's turned into work now. What do you do to to continue relationships once you've established them or when you make a new contact? What do you do to kind of remove, move that relationship forward and... Stay top of mind.
0: Yeah, great question. For the, for the first part of your question, what do I do to to maintain relationships I've started? Uh, one of the key ways, and it's very simple, is simply keeping in touch with them. For example, the the holidays were recently here. You know, uh, New Year's and the December holidays and things like that. Often in the in the holiday times, early on in December, I'll try to reach out. And sometimes I'm better at it than others, but I always make the effort to, to reach out to people I've worked with and wish them a happy holidays and explain some uh, kind of highlights from from my year, maybe some composing highlights or things that happened, and ask how they're doing, and you know have an annual way of staying in touch with people. I'll try to do it throughout the year also, but that's I'm just trying to share a recent example. Um, sometimes when I work with studios, uh, you know I'll even sometimes send them a holiday gift or things like that, just ways to show my uh, gratitude and thankfulness for the opportunity to work with them and the opportunity to, um, you know, be partners in a creative endeavor with them. Um, other ways I do it is, uh, again, trying to think of recent things. In a couple months will be, you know, GD- GDC, Game Developer Conference in San Francisco. I always use that as an opportunity to meet up with old friends or people I've worked with in particular from other countries, because it's hard to find time uh, to visit if we're in other countries, but very often they'll come to the, that event in San Francisco and we'll eat lunch or dinner together or get a drink or hang out or that kind of thing. So that's another big uh, touch point. I make it, I make it an effort to go there every year. I thi- I think I've gone there every year since I've graduated in 2009 actually. With, with the exception of the pandemic. But I, I, f- I find it that valuable that, I'll, that I go literally every year pretty much. Um, so those are ways I try to keep in touch with folks I've, I've worked with before. And and throughout the year, too, you know, if I if I compose for a video game that I think someone might be interested in, I'll send them a link to some samples of it or to tell them a little bit about my composing process for it, just something that I think they might find interesting and potentially be helpful to them. Um uh, your other uh, The other part of your question, you mentioned like someone that I meet, let's say, casually, and how do I develop that into more of a relationship. Um, I'll use an ex- example from a few years ago, um, also with the GDC um, thing. I remember going around the expo floor and meeting a bunch of companies, and uh, often I'll try to meet the audio teams if they're there. They, they're often not there, but sometimes they are. In this case, with, with this one particular company, the audio uh, team leader wasn't there, but they did give me his his email to follow up with him. And after the conference, I followed up with him and stayed in touch with him. Event, ended up working with him on some smaller projects, and then uh, later he was actually the, the person that recommended me to the NetEase um, company, which became, a, for me, a quite long-standing uh, relationship. Um, but, but the principle is still the same. Like I met somebody, I tried to be friendly and, uh, you know, be of service or help to them. He had some, he had some music needs that were smaller and then it's kind of the same thing, you know, keeping in touch over time, being a friend, being helpful. I always, I always try to be helpful to people like, um, you know, if people need a demo, I'm willing to do it. If you need uh, music on a tight deadline, which sometimes they do for game updates or trailers, I always try to accommodate that. Um, I try to uh, work with uh, budget flexibility when needed that shows that I put the project first. All these little things that show that that, uh, you're going to be a friend to them and you're also going to give top-quality service to them.
1: Since you brought up GDC... In the early days of GDC, when you were first going, 2009, 10, 11, and you—I know the first year at GDC can be like, there's so much going on, and there's so many people, and there's the expo floor. Um, What did you do initially—like, what did you do early on in GDC to kind of get your footing and to make it productive?
0: Yeah, I remember a few key things. First of all, I've gotten better at it over the years, but by nature I'm more of an introvert, meaning it's hard it's harder for me to network especially back then. Not not so much now because I've had a lot more practice, but um one of the things the first year i went to gdc i don't know if they still have it but it was something called the audio boot camp where veterans in video game audio would kind of coach younger composers or sound designers they'd listen to your work and give you a critique on it and they'd also explain uh in kind of an entry-level way what it's like to create music or sound design for games when I went to that, there were a lot of other composers there, and I realized, hey, we're all in the same boat, and it was very easy to quickly talk with people and make friendships. One one of the uh, friends that I made there, and I believe it was from that very first year, if I remember right, actually went on to work. He now works at Riot Games as one of their uh, senior in-house composers, and I've worked with him on different projects in recent years. So. And who, who knew that would happen, you know? But uh, when when you have people that are pursuing an endeavor together, um, like this uh, game audio boot camp, and we're all kind of in the same boat, meaning we're all there, we're all new, everything's new, it's easy to make connections and friends because you have so much in common. And everyone's so helpful and friendly and things like that. So that was one of the things early on at GDC that helped me. Another thing that I, that I would constantly read in networking... Um, you know, guides and things like that is always have a plan or have goals. I remember reading, it was a blog or a forum post somebody wrote many years ago about GDC and they said, it means GDC is different things for different people, but know what it is for you. Before you go, know what it is you want to accomplish and make a plan to make it happen. So another uh, plan that I had was uh, I wanted well, I'll just rattle off a few here. One was that I wanted uh, potential employers to hear my music. Um, they had, again, back then, as I said, they had a demodury thing where you'd play a piece of music of yours for some for some uh, veteran folks, and they'd listen to it and critique it. I did that because I wanted the critique, but also because I was hoping that maybe somebody in the audience might hear it and like it. And uh, that, that actually did happen. It was somebody from a trailer music library... And I do a fair amount of music for trailers, and they liked the music, gave me their card. I uh, called, up, called them afterwards, and we ended up, wor- we've worked on over the years several albums of music, of trailer music. And that came from that, which was, a, an, a, again, a goal of trying to go in an event where the music would be heard by people. Another goal that I had was, uh, which is still a goal I have when I attend, is to try to meet as many new developers as possible. Especially back then when I started out, every, every developer was a new developer because I didn't know any for the most part. So I just, uh, but I did have a composer website and I did have demo material and I had some credits from when I lived in Los Angeles, placements in TV shows and things like that. So I knew that I had uh, the skills in for a starting point. So, you know, I would uh, go around to the Expo 4 which they still have and meet all the developers as many as I could. And also try to meet audio uh, folks that were giving audio talks and also uh you know, go to some parties or some uh, after-night or late night uh, mixers and things like that where audio people are. All the th- all the ways to meet people, right? Because one of the one of the principles I took to heart is if I don't introduce myself to somebody, nobody's gonna know who I am. They're not gonna stumble upon me on accident or anything like that. Despite what happened to Justin Bieber on YouTube or whatever, it can happen. The odds are it won't. So, so I would rather uh, I would rather think. Well, what are my goals? What, who is it that I'm gonna meet? What are the actions I'm gonna take? And I still do that to this day. Like I've already started my uh, sheet for GDC in March. Who am I gonna meet? There's there's already many many uh, things on there and ideas percolating and things like that.
1: I love what you said about, uh, earlier what you said about music business and how you should study freelance business because that's what we're doing. It's a freelance business. How do you, either, how do you do it or how do you recommend people starting out? You can answer either one or both of these questions. How do you recommend people um, balance the music side of things and the business side of things? like How much time do you spend sharpening the saw or working on demo and music craft side of things and versus how much time you spend on business and building the business and learning about business?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. And the answer to that is it depends on the unique situation of the composer and where they're at in their career. Um, for example, for myself, when I was in college, it was all about, all about sharpening the saw. It was all about developing the skills and practicing, um, composing with the DAW, composing with pencil and paper, mixing. It was all about that. After in, i if I remember correctly, in the two in about two full years after graduating, it was almost the opposite. It was, I think, 70% of my time was spent on building the business, which was trying to get early projects and things like that. And 30% of my time was spent on developing musically and, and things like that because that was the phase that I was in. Now, as time has gone on, it's much more, the ratio is much higher to simply working on projects rather than starting from a ground zero, so to speak, with a freelance business. But but it, it still involves a mix of both. I think what you need to do is, and it's a little tricky to do to ourselves, but as objectively as possible, you have to evaluate where you are in your career and how you're viewed by people that might hire you. Meaning, uh, where, where might your strengths be? Where might your deficiencies be? If they came across you cold or they met you um, either online or in person, what would they think? Um, and based on that, you can start tailoring your efforts um, to improving in whatever or focusing on whatever category you think is the most beneficial. It's very similar to what businesses do when they have their business analyzed by somebody, you know, like a big company, an analyst might come in and, and uh, determine the strengths and weaknesses of the company and a plan of action to address those. As a freelancer, you're doing all these things, but you're doing it on a microcosm. And the, the hard part is you're, you're often doing it to yourself and it's hard to be objective with ourselves sometimes uh, and not biased, but as much as possible, if one can do that, I think it's helpful.
1: That's cool. Did, when, you were, when you were coming up the ranks, did you just do that by yourself? Did you just try to objectively look at, okay, what are my strengths? What are, where are things weak? Or were you reaching out to mentors and having them point things out? Or were you getting that from rejections, from trying out for games? Or was there a main source that, that you went to to get some of that objective feedback?
0: Yeah, another really good question. Um, it came from a variety of sources and a few that I remember specifically. I was lucky enough to uh, meet a guy. He he passed away last year. His name was Bob Rice and he was the first uh, music agent that I had. And he was, if I, if I remember correctly, he was the first music agent that purely focused on the video game industry hmm. as opposed to the film and TV industry. He was super helpful because I would ask him all kinds of questions and he would be completely forthright with me about uh, all kinds of things, be they financial things, be they reaching out, be they what he would do, what he does when he goes to GDC, all kinds of stuff. And that was super helpful to me and I do consider him one of my uh, true mentors. Another great mentor I had um, growing up and throughout my whole life has been my uh, father. My father was, I'm trying to remember the age, I believe when he was in his late 30s, he was the vice president of a Silicon Valley company. In other words, he was very good at business and had a huge amount of experience in it. So often I would run ideas by him And still do at times. I'll call them up or whatever, and and ask some questions here or there. the 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 industry is totally different. I mean, building parts for computers is 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 nothing compared. is completely different to an artistic endeavor. But the business principles aren't necessarily because business is business, regarding of the, uh, regardless of the the medium. That was another mentor that I had. You mentioned uh, rejection from demos and things. Believe it or not, that's been one, too. When I've uh, demoed on projects, and certainly I don't work on all that I demo on, I'll always make it a point to ask the developer, what is it you liked about what I did? Was it What is it you didn't like? I always want to improve. I always want to make the best music and best experience possible. And sometimes they'll tell me, and other times they won't. But every time they tell me, my ears will open up. Because this is a gold nugget of advice coming straight from the source, and I better listen. So I I will actively ask
1: that, if given the opportunity. Um, Have you ever been surprised with the feedback they give? Like, oh, oh, I didn't ever think about that, or I didn't realize that that was a thing or an issue. At times,
0: yes, and, but some of the most surprising times, I remember a game that I demoed on before the Transformers one that, that I didn't get that would kind of be a game changer for me, meaning it would be a career launching point, which the Transformer game was, but that happened maybe a year later or so. I asked them if they liked the music. Their answer was, yes, we love the music. Was the price okay? Yeah, your price was okay. And, th- and at that point they said, but that's really all we can tell you. And I put two and two together, and I and I because I thought, well, what what else would the issue be then? And I realized it was probably my lack of experience, meaning I simply hadn't composed as many video games as the other uh, composers demoing on it. And uh, I believe that that was the case. But that was kind of an oddity, meaning they wouldn't. They said everything was good, but then I was like. Okay, well, why didn't I compose for it then? So I had to put on my thinking cap and think, well, what is the deficient area? It's not the ones they just said. And I thought, an experience is always a differentiator because the more experience someone has, the more trust the potential client will have because you've done it before. And I I realized that was probably the case. And sure enough, when I looked up who ended up composing the game, when a game came out, had all kinds of credits. So... (laughs) yeah that's that that was that, I think. but
1: So as you were speaking, I thought of I thought of different people that have reached out to me through the podcast and have asked different questions, and um, so going off of this, just like on the idea of putting yourself out there, I wanted to get your take on on a um, on a topic. And something, I don't even know what it was, but something what you just said reminded me of this topic. And that is, I'll sometimes talk to people who are, want to wait till they're more ready to get their music out there, or maybe they feel apprehensive to get their music out there because they don't want to put their music out there and sound bad, and then people will think, oh... I'll just use me as an example. So I don't want to put my music out there because I don't want people to think, oh, Tyson, well, his music sounds bad. Um, and so I just wanted to get your... Anyway, and I have my own advice, and I, ha- I have a podcast episode about it where I think you just put your music out there anyway because people aren't going to remember uh, what you put out in the beginning of your career early on. But I wanted to get your opinion on that as far as just like putting yourself out there... Um, being vulnerable with your demo music maybe should you put music out there before you feel like it's ready or should you stay working on it longer or how do you how do you balance those those desires and those fears
0: yeah another really great question um my take on it is that yes you should get your music out there's so many points to address in this question i think First of all, the fear is natural. I mean, everyone fears rejection. And certainly if something's your passion, and let's say you've gone to school or spent many years practicing it, in other words, you put a lot of uh, sweat equity into it, you're going to be sensitive if someone rejects it. Um, So that's understandable. Uh, What I realized well, for going back to what Bob Rice told me, he told me that uh, there are many, many talented composers that could do it, but often the ones that do do it, meaning that get credits and work consistently, are the ones that are better at the business, or better, or more well known, or meeting more people, or that kind of thing. And 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 this is this was a music agent telling me this that had been an agent for you know or working in the music business for 30 years or more. I mean, had seen all kinds of stuff. So you have to get over the fear of rejection. And for me, I, I almost take a... I remember, especially back back when I was starting out, I almost took kind of a stoic philosophy towards it, which was, I'm going to get rejected anyway, meaning there's no way... People get rejected all the time, like companies that uh, make products or go to... Let's say even the extreme example you're a door to door salesman. How many are going to shut the door on you all kinds um commercials air on t v How many times do you go out and buy that product? Not often, in other words, you're rejecting it. Rejection is part of the game, and you shouldn't take it personally you should and I almost thought to myself, well maybe nine times times out of ten, I will get rejected and it's not it's not a harsh rejection. it just means it it doesn't result in working on something with somebody. But one time out of ten, I am going to work on it. And so, what does that mean? It means I need to be taking as many shots at that basket as possible. Because if I'm timid, I'm just using ten percent as a ratio of six, "quote unquote" success, if you will. But we have to have some some basis in reality or probability, you know. And if I'm nervous about taking sh- sh- free throws, for example, and I'm oh, I'm only going to take ten, well. Maybe you're only going to net one then. Now what if what if I say well whatever rejection is going to happen it's going to happen at the same rate whether I take one shot or a hundred shots. Okay, I'll take a hundred. How many how many I going to make now? Going to make ten ten times as many. I'm still going to but I'm also going to get rejected uh, ten times as many. But the end result is better. You, you see what I'm saying? Um, it's it's a process of normalizing rejection and not viewing it as some terrible thing, but rather viewing it as simply part of the process. It still happens. I mean, I've I've demoed on uh, projects in the past five years, two of which, one in particular, would have been a total game changer for me. And guess what happened? Didn't get them. Um, it is what it is. It is what it is. It's not. It's not like the rejection stops after you work in the industry for fifteen years. It still happens. You just get used to it. Um, so that's my advice for that. Another another point of advice is that you mentioned: "Is my music ready yet?" That, in my mind, that comes back to as objectively as viewing yourself as objectively as possible as a potential game developer, or film director might. Meaning. Um, listen to other music in, the t- in this similar class of projects you're looking for if you're pitching for the, l- the latest Assassin's Creed video game your dem- demo music needs to sound like Assassin's Creed music meaning if somebody put them side to side and never played the game and s- you just took a random person you said which one of these sounds better they need to pick yours as much as they pick the other one otherwise you're not ready to demo for that um, and that's just the truth of the matter. It may sound harsh, but that's just the truth of the matter. Now now, if it's an independent game, it, not not so necessarily, the music quality, the mixing, possibly the composing, though it depends. There's many, many high quality indie games. But you get what I mean. You have to you have to objectively see where you're at. And realistically, and this is something I still try to do is always aim for the next rung up the ladder. Like, uh, stretch yourself, but stretch yourself within reason. When I, when I first started uh, contacting video game companies 15 years ago, I started contacting smaller companies. Remember, I, first I started indie companies. Then, okay, some smaller, mid-sized companies, like the Hot Wheels game and things like that. Then, then some bigger ones. Um, everything's a work in progress. I don't care how long a person's done it, they're always a work in progress. I, I had a video game composer that I very much admire, and I admire his mixes especially. Very, very good. And he told me that he was always fussing about the mixes and wondering if they were good enough. And I thought to myself, my gosh, your mixes to me sound better than almost all the video game composers I heard. You're worrying about it all the time? And at that point I realized it never goes away. Uh, <laughs> you know, it never goes away. There's this myth or idea that's, that someday you're going to arrive at the... The golden, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, and there'll be no more rejection. You won't second guess yourself. It never happens. You're still a human, um. So, th- that's my that's my advice on that. As much as possible, normalizing rejection or just viewing it as part of the process, because it really is, and it doesn't. Uh, it, it's just yeah. And it, it takes the emotional sting out of it, and it allows you to. Uh, not get demotivated. The attitudes we have towards things can can cause us to be demotivated or motivated, and it's entirely dependent upon how you view it.
1: Yeah, like the frame that you put on the event that happens. Like, how am I going to frame this rejection or this feedback or whatever? Wrapping up, I want to ask you one more question. One thing that I really like about your career is that, at least what I know of your career is that you've always been a freelancer and that you've been very, like, meticulous and methodical and you've really been approaching the business side of it to to grow it that way. And from me, an outsider, it looks like your career has just been, like, growing and growing. And, um, you know, I'm seeing posts from you all the time on LinkedIn about all these awards and accolades and everything. And what I want to ask you is, what are, and, and you've probably, maybe you've mentioned them all already in our conversation today, but I want you, if you were to pick just a handful of the main skills that you think have made you stick out and have a long-lasting career as a freelancer um, over, the, over the past 15 years, what would you say those key handful of skills are that have helped you to kind of stick out above the noise and and make it and have longevity in this in this industry
0: yeah another really great great question i think that i'll try to narrow it down to about four as bird's eye as possible the first one is having a passion for music um I used to like to watch, and sometimes still do, though I used to watch it religiously, almost the Shark Tank uh, show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, People probably know it's a business show, but when people, and I noticed on that, you need business sense, but you also need passion. When people have passion or a true love for something, it doesn't feel like work. It's not like pulling teeth. Um, You want to do it and your motivation is much higher. You tend to be better at it because you, you practice it more, spend more time on it. And you tend to be more successful in a business sense because you'll put in more hours simply because you want to. So having a passion is really the root of it. And for me, that went back to childhood with music and video games and things like that. Um, and that can't be forced, meaning you, your passion, you have to find it. You you can't force it. I don't believe the contrary, the, or the, uh, the sister quality, I would say to that is discipline and structure because the passion may be there, but unless it's funneled into clear goals, like for example, what are your goals this year? What are your goals in your career? Great. Now, how are you going to filter that down into daily action steps that you're going to do today and tomorrow and the next day? You have to have the ability in order to take a goal and then translate it into daily action and some kind of a daily structure that will and or system that will implement that, that will make you inch farther up the mountain every day. And if you do that consistently, over a year, over two years, over three years, you make progress. A lot of times, at least when I talk to aspiring composers, they either don't know what to do because it's a daunting thing, you know, freelance business. And I said that reading books a lot helped me with understanding that. Um, or, they, uh, or or you, you touched on, on one of your questions. They lose motivation early on because of rejection or, or even shoot themselves in the foot, so to speak, before they start. If you, have, if you have discipline and structure, it doesn't need to be reliant upon daily motivation, which can wax and wane. Um, depending on the day or the year or what happens or maybe even what's happening in our personal lives, our, motivation, our emotional motivation can go up or down. But if we have discipline that we fall back on, we're going to do what needs to be done regardless of that. And for me, that's really important because as artistic people, we tend to... Emotion super important and it's super important for expression, but it has to be balanced by discipline. And for me, I'm, I'm super uh, focused on goals and super focused on daily actions. Like I, I know exactly what I'm doing today. I know exactly what I'm doing this week. I plan everything out. And, and for me, that helps keep momentum going and things like that. Um, Another uh, point of longevity is, um, and it's a basic business principle too, it's always do your best work because the game industry, though it's worldwide, the, the people working in audio is not relatively that big, meaning people know people and move to other studios and talk about you, good or bad. I've, I've heard audio folks talk about composers they've loved working with and ones they haven't. And they'll spread the word, especially with their buddies and things like that. So be a friend to people. Put the game first. Be there to serve. And everything that you do, make it it known that that's what you're there for. And if you do that, people will enjoy working with you. And you'll enjoy working with them more too. And that's ultra important in an industry where uh, reputation and um, relationships mean a lot. The, other, the final point that I'd say for longevity is um, always be learning and, do, and improving your skills. Um, a couple examples that I do, that I try to do, though I'm not always the best, is I will watch uh, videos and tutorials on mixing to try to up my mixing game because I classically studied uh, composition, but I never classically studied mixing. So I'm, I'm really all about learning more about that and trying more on with that every week i i try to study also and analyze a little bit out of a study scores like right now i'm almost finished with the willow james horner willow movie score the whole thing it takes a long time to get through it's hundreds of pages but every every uh weekend i chip away at it and you get what i mean and i learn new techniques too i'm like wow he's doing that and he's doing that there's always more to learn so you have to you have to take the same enthusiasm that you have on day one, and then have it on day thousand. Don't lose the habits, and uh, have passion and have um, discipline and structure because that, in my mind, gives anyone the the best uh, chance at progressing.
1: That was beautiful. I love that. That was really great. Wrapping up, how can people? follow you? How can people, where can people hear your music? What do you want people to know about you?
0: Yeah, the easiest place to hear my music is probably just my composer website. It's uh, just my name, com. I always try to keep it up to date with the latest uh, things I'm working on and projects. And in the, on the music page, I often try to write in addition to the music samples i'll write a little bit about the composing process like what what was i thinking when i was composing what are some techniques i tried and things like that um i'm also on on social media you know i'm on linkedin i'm pretty active on that i'm on facebook and always try to uh, you know accept any invites and things um you know i'm always at not always but so far always at gdc so any any time someone wants to meet up or say hi I'm always open to that you know I have music on uh, Apple Music as well and things like that
1: well thank you so much Jeff it has been a pleasure it has been awesome to have you on the show and to hear the plethora of gold nuggets that you threw at us so thank you so much
0: yeah thanks so much for having me